Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 3, verses 8 through 18. Accordingly, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever, for you, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, drum, and entire musical ensemble shall fall down and worship the golden statue. And whoever does not fall down in worship shall be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods, and they do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and the entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship... You shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Andy. Thanks be to God this morning. Good morning, Ebenezer Church. 945 in worship. It is a great time to be in church, isn't it? I pray that this is the most blessed part of your week, and I pray that the rest of your week uh, goes well as a result of it. Can we just give God thanks and praise one more time for being in worship on Sunday? Amen. Sunday, my favorite day of the week. Well, if you've been rocking and rolling with us for about the last four or five weeks, uh, you will know that we are in a sermon series entitled Childlike Faith. Um, if you haven't been rocking and rolling with us, uh, it is not unfortunate for you because fortunately you can go back and watch the rest of the series Childlike Faith because today we're ending our series. Uh, this is our last installment in the series Childlike Faith, and it's been an incredible time. Um, I pray that when you go and watch the videos, if you're new, but if you've been rolling with this for a while, that you've been blessed by the entire message series. We've been uncovering some of these major stories in scripture that typically you hear when you're younger. Uh, whether you have attended church your whole life or not, you might have heard of these kind of staple stories, like the creation narrative and Noah's Ark. You may have, may have heard of David and Goliath and Daniel and the lion's den. And if you haven't, we've uncovered those stories, so uh, you can always go back 
back and look at them. But it's been an incredible time looking at those stories of old. These stories made new also, giving us new perspective as to the type of God that we serve. How God inspires us to have deep love and faith in God. How we're inspired to be sparked with joy and curiosity about God. How when faced with difficult circumstances, we can experience a God who is with us always, who loves us, and who can always speak to us. It's been an incredible sermon series this entire time. I love this sermon series because it also rekindles for us curiosity about what more God may be wanting to teach us or want or maybe wanting for us to know. We can also be in the place as it relates to childlike faith where we can ask hard questions. Ask our questions about how we are to live, how we're to grow, and how we're to experience God. Today, we're going to uncover the story of three young men who were faithful. Three young men who loved God and loved God through no matter what, loved God through whatever the circumstances were. They were men who did not waver in their faith. They were men that stood on faithfulness, men who stood on principles. And was an example to many people within their nation of how to stand up for what's right, speak truth to power and love, but then to also never abandon the faith that is deeply rooted inside of you. Today I want to unpack the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through the text we just read today. Pray with me. Dear God, we are so grateful for this message series, Childlike Faith. For all the ways that you have inspired us throughout this time together as we've journeyed to lean more into what you're calling us to do in our lives or be or change or more importantly, what we are to know about you, how we are to experience you. And then lastly, how we are to worship you. It's been a beautiful time, but we are not done yet. So still speak to us as it relates to childlike faith regarding Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And if there is a message for the human heart today, go where Pastor Donovan cannot. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So before we jump in our story uh, today or uh, begin our unpacking, I have a little bit of a story that I want to share. Just a few weeks ago, uh, my wife had attended uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas, a training for a new job that she got. Baby Cakes, if you're in this place, great job. Congratulations. New job. Uh, I'm so excited for her. But she's, she has this new job. She was away at training about three weeks ago. And I got to let you know, before we travel, before we go anywhere, um, both if either she's traveling or I am, we always make sure that we activate or enable the location setting on our phone. For those of you that are not iPhone users, you have no clue what that is. <laughs> but you may have a location or a GPS setting on your phone that may help you to track either yourself or another device that you may have. So I like to make sure that I track my wife whenever she leaves. Now, I got to let you know, I'm not a helicopter husband. I am a helicopter dad, <laughs> but I'm not a helicopter husband. <laughs> That's not why I tracked our GPS. We just like to know that each other is safe whenever we travel. So we enable the GPS setting. Well, one of the days during the training, uh, Adrika's second day uh, of her training, uh, I didn't hear from her probably most of the day. Now, typically when she goes to training, I hear from her at the beginning of the day, at lunch, during some breaks. Um, either I would call her or she would reach back home and say, hey, how are the kids? Because I know sometimes you don't do a good job and you won't feed them. So... 
how's it going? We didn't do that this particular day. So, because I didn't reach out to her, uh, I decided uh, to, to reach out to her using a different means, via GPS. I could have called, I could have texted, but here at dinner time, I decided to just check her location just to see if she's okay. And friends, you will not believe where I tracked her location to. In and out hamburger. I'm glad that you think this is funny. The nerve of her to eat a in and out hamburger without me. My wife and I, we love In-N-Out Hamburger. If you're, unfam- if you're unfamiliar with what In-N-Out Hamburger is, um, that's too bad. Um, <laughs> but it's the greatest hamburger you ever eat, in my opinion, especially if you're traveling out west. It's the only place where the chain exists. Too bad that they're not here on the east coast because uh, you could experience it. But they're on the west coast. But here she is in Dallas, Texas, enjoying and stuffing her mouth with a In-N-Out Hamburger without her loving husband. <laughs> the nerve of her. You see, we love In-N-Out, not only because of their delicious hamburgers, but my wife and I, we love supporting organizations and businesses that stand on deep values and principles, especially if they're an organization or a business that's a faith-based organization or business. It was at the Global Leadership Conference 2022, so last year. In fact, as a plug, we uh, had we hosted uh, Global Leadership Summit here uh, on our campus this week. It was an amazing time. Uh, so it was at that conference where we learned about In-N-Out. Uh, Lindsay Snyder, the president and CEO, had exclaimed that they stand on really deep values of faith. They want to make sure that every worker or employee of In-N-Out Hamburger is filled with love and can convey love through their customer service. That they put faith first in their life so they're able to uh, practice their faith openly within their organization. And that they're also able to build and create a foundation of faith and of love and of Christ-like leadership, servant leadership within the heart of their organization. That their principles are built on what it means to truly live as a servant leader and Christian in the world. Well, Adrika and I support this organization. We love them. We fell in love with what they do. Because principles are important to my wife and I. In fact, uh, when my wife and I got married, actually before we got married, we decided that we would create a series of principles that we would live by that would help govern our marriage and our relationship and then eventually our family. We decided that we wanted to not only live out our faith, but to create a system within our household and within our relationship dynamic that would help us live deeply in to what it means to love one another and to serve others in the world. So to give you a little bit of peek into our marriage and into our family, two of those core values or principles within our family is first, to bathe our marriage and family in unfailing love and forgiveness. To let that be the practice of our marriage and within our family. We believe that it is a direct express, we practice this because we believe that it is a direct reflection of the love and the type of love that God has for us. We want to do our best at making sure that we love one another according to the type of, to the ways that God has expressed God's love to us, both individually and as a family. That's our first principle. We have many, but here are just two. Our second one is this, and it actually comes from a quote by, it actually comes from a quote that's oftentimes attributed to John Wesley, and it is to do all the good you can by all the means you can 
in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can. How long? As long as you ever can. You see, this quote encourages people to do as much good as possible, and we seek to do that in our lives and in our family, to one another and those who we find ourselves in relationship and community with. It also helps us to know and to understand that as people, as Christians, we are to do the most good and to show the most love as much as possible, as many times as possible, as long as we possibly can. You see, there's something about principles. There's something about values that we create and that we have around us and in our lives and relationships and that we live into and that we govern ourselves by. Because they help to reveal our heart and what's most important to us. Especially when we're faithful to these fundamental principles in our lives, it helps us to live out a life that is not only admirable, but that, but that creates curiosity to those around us or sparks curiosity among those around us. So that they too may be asking questions about what's so different about these people or that person. And I wonder how I too could get a little bit of that. Well, I got to tell you today, this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is a story of three men who stand very firmly on their values, on their principles, and they're faithful to what they believe and who they believe in. In the story that was read for us, uh, that's not actually the beginning of the story. We're at the point of scripture where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is in interact is in a discussion with the king about worship. They're getting ready to be thrown into a lake of fire because they refuse to worship a 99-foot statue or God-like statue that the king at the time had erected. But the story doesn't actually begin there. It actually heats up there. It doesn't begin there. It begins at the beginning of Daniel, Daniel 1, in fact. This is Daniel 3 today, but it begins in Daniel 1. It begins where King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonian Empire, is assuming and taking up many different countries and cities and states. Not only is he taking over and sieging a lot of states and cities and countries, but he's also uh, he's also taking on tons of people as he's taking over these city states and countries. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar seeks to be one of the most influential leaders of this ancient world. This guy wants to be so impressive that he wants to have not only different countries um, and cities and states to be under this Babylonian empire or within his sort of earthly kingdom. But he wants to make sure that he has all power and control and rule that what he believes he helps others to believe or will force others to believe. He seeks to be the most powerful influence of the known time during this day. He's taking over kingdoms that already exist. He's instilling principles throughout his government that reflects himself, but then also reflects the gods that he serves. Within the Babylonian Empire, there were many gods. There weren't just one god. There were many gods, like different statues, and even people that existed during that time that were known as gods. And oftentimes, it would be encouraged that these that the people that lived within the empire would worship these gods, whether it be a statue or a different person. But more particularly, King Nebuchadnezzar himself wanted to be worshipped. He wanted more power and influence and control. He wanted to be loved by his people so much that it would lead him, lead others to a dangerous place. 
a dangerous place of replacing their own God to have King Nebuchadnezzar be their own God. They were known, he, him and his kingdom was known for taking over everything during this known ancient world. Well, included in one of the many places that he had taken over was Judah and Jerusalem. Judah and Jerusalem had a kingdom of their own, had a God of their own, which was the God of Israel. And now King Nebuchadnezzar is getting ready to seize Judah and Jerusalem. And he is successful in that. He seizes and takes over Judah and Jerusalem. He assumes this large number of people, about 4,000 Jews that were living in Jerusalem at the time, forces them into exile, takes the best of their men, the most excellent and the most educated and handsome of their men, and the most beautiful and puts them in leadership, the men, and then takes the most beautiful women and signs them over, hands them over to his governors and his madrids and his judges um, and his and his uh, and his um, his ministers. He does this because he wants his kingdom to look good. He does this because he wants to let it be known that he has all power and control. So as he takes the Jews during that time into his leadership, among those who's taken into his leadership or is put in leadership are four individuals. We read about or we learned about one person last week. That person was named Daniel. He was one of the highest governors that served in King Nebuchadnezzar's government. But then there were three other individuals who also had and led powerfully in King Nebuchadnezzar's structure within his empire. Those three people were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These weren't people who gladly served in his leadership, although they did. They were forced into exile and forced into government and was forced to serve and lead Jews of their own, their own people. This was their job. Well, that's the first part of the story. That King Nebuchadnezzar seeks to be powerful and great, even if that means bringing people or sending people into exile themselves. The second part of that story is, as he's seeking to be one of the most impressive people, and as he is consumed with himself, one day he has a dream. And in his dream, he is reminded of his own leadership. He has a dream of a structure that looks like a god that's 99 feet tall, and it's made of four different metals, bronze, silver, gold, and silver. And there's also some clay that's incorporated into that. He's unable to interpret this dream that he has one night, so he calls on a person, Daniel, one of the persons in his government, to interpret this dream that he has. Nobody in the known world in his government is able to interpret this dream, but Daniel is able to. So he calls for Daniel. Daniel interprets his dream, and he tells him an interpretation. Well, in your dream, there was this statue made of four different metals. And this statue made of four different metals represented kingdoms that you would overtake. And not only that, but you were known to the people that you were taking over as the most powerful person, that you had all dominion, that you had all control, that people loved you and people worshipped you. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar, as, inter- as having a dream interpreted for him, wanted to interpret that dream for himself into reality. So he has his government to build a structure made of one metal, which is just all gold. And the structure is to resemble him. And not only that, but it is a structure that King Nebuchadnezzar is going to make all of his government, all the men and women within his empire, bow down and worship. So he does. 
He says that every time you come across this statue, every time you are in the face of any of the people who are within my kingdom, you should bow down and worship them. Well, there's a problem here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are a part of and are among his highest leaders. And they have a God of their own, although they are serving within his leadership, have taken on uh, Babylonian identity, has practiced their own, has practiced their own system of education, has learned their ways. They're now being asked to hand over the identity of the God that they serve. This presents a problem for them because the God that they heard about who delivered their ancestors from, from the red, from Egypt and helped them to cross over into the red. See, the God that they learned about, the God that they were faithful to, the God who, the God and the faith that they put into practice for so many years was now being called in to question. They're now being called to reject their identity and to take on this new identity of the powers that be. Well, in the face of in the face of pressure and in the in the face of exile and even facing death Shadrach Meshach and Abednego decides not to worship the god that is set up before them instead they they decide to remain faithful to the god they had known their entire lives and because of this king Nebuchadnezzar is ticked off about it He's mad because he knows that everybody within his structure of government is to worship not only the king, but is to worship the gods that comes along with the empire. And anyone who does not do it is to be thrown into a lake of fire where they will be consumed and they will become examples to the rest of the known world that this is the God you are to serve. And I am the king who you are to serve as well. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decides not to bow down and worship the king. This angers King Nebuchadnezzar. He throws them into the pit. And what is supposed to happen to them within this fiery furnace, within this fiery pit, which means being consumed, does not happen to them. They're supposed to be consumed and burned up by the fire. They're supposed to be marred by the fire. But they found themselves not being consumed by the death that's surrounding them. In fact, as onlookers are looking into the pit, some people died the closer they got to this fiery pit because it was so hot. They looked into it and saw a divine being which looks as if it was protecting the three boys, an angel of some sort or a person of some sort, a fourth person that's in the fire with them, providing them care and comfort. Well, this startles them because and it confuses them. Because they are wondering, how is it that the boys that are thrown into the fire are not consumed by it? Is it their God that's perhaps protecting them? Is it their God that's perhaps saving them? In fact, it is. They said that they would not be, they said that they would not worship any other God. But then they also were faithful and bold enough to believe that their God, the God that they knew and worship and serve, would deliver them from the hand of injustice, oppression, and even death. So, they believe this. And here's where we are dropped off in today's text. They're consumed, they're not consumed by the fire. This divine being shows up for them and is also known as this divine moment where God interrupts a person's death to be with them to save them, 
and to show God's faithfulness. This story continues to unfold in an incredible way. And I want to invite you to read the rest of this story. Daniel is a whole book, so I invite you to go and read it. But there's some mega themes in this story that I think are important for us to draw as we're thinking about these three young men who are not consumed by their pending death. But not only that, but the reason for which they're facing death, for not bowing down and showing loyalty to a God that is not their own. The first mega theme here is loyalty and faithfulness. Number one, King Nebuchadnezzar loved loyalty and he appreciated faithfulness. He wanted power and control. He wanted dominion and he wanted influence. He wanted his governors and everybody in his leadership to bow down and to worship him, to be faithful and to be committed to him, to show, to show and to prove that they were on his side, even if that meant worshiping the God that he worshiped. And as this was a problem for them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could not be faithful to the God of King Nebuchadnezzar because they too were loyal and faithful to their own God, the God who showed them through the water, the God that were with them during troubling times, and the God who continues to be with them no matter what the circumstances is or circumstances are. They're loyal to their own God. They're faithful to their own God and they cannot bow down to any other being or any other being or structure. King Nebuchadnezzar even, even taunts them about the type of God that they serve and says, if, if you are thrown into this fire, what God will come and save you? And then it's proven when God jumps in to protect them and surrounds them that it's the God of Israel the God of creation, the God of love and salvation that comes to their help, that comes to their aid. By show of these three young men's faithfulness is really a show of God's faithfulness. How God too is willing to jump into the fire with us, save us, protect us from the impending evil and injustice that happens or that is happening in the world. Loyalty and faithfulness. The other mega theme that's at work in this story that we take away is identity and integrity and the ways that that, sh- that that shows up in this story, but then also our own lives. See, in this story, King Nebuchadnezzar wanted so badly to change them. In fact, he did. When he brought them into his own leadership, he not only took away their diet and their education and their culture, but also took away their system of belief. I mean, he also took away their identity. They were known as Jews, but then they were also taking on this Babylonian identity, a new identity that they had not known. And now they're being asked to give up and to be stripped away from their own faith. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar was successful at taking away their identity and their culture. But one thing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were sure to do was to ensure that King Nebuchadnezzar or the powers of the world or the social structures of the world would not take away their faith their principles, the thing that they stood on and believed in most. They had integrity as well. Not the type of integrity where it's do what's right and do what's good behind closed doors, although that's important too, but the type of integrity that finds itself among other words like unification and unity, strength, wholeness, coherence, cohesion, togetherness, solidarity, strength, The integrity, the strength of our faith that shows up when we are being pushed up against, when we're being pushed into a corner, 
when we ourselves are being challenged. The third is God's providence. How God's protective and loving care shows up in our greatest time of need. You see, I believe, too, that just like for the three Hebrew young men, that God, too, is able to insert God's selves in our lives, be present, go before us, and be with us, to exist among us, and to help us when we are in need the most. But then to also create different things to come about in our lives, like trust, to give us revelation of who God is and what God is calling us to be or change. And then also giving us salvation and helping us to grow in our knowledge and love for God, too. That God jumps in and wants this for us. When it comes to our theme of childlike faith, we're encouraged to to know that when we develop principles like how these young men did, that it reveals our true heart, what we stand on, what's most valuable and precious to us. The integrity of our own faith, the strength of our own belief, to stand on something that's meaningful for ourselves, but then also to show that our faithfulness opens us up to brand new things, that our faithfulness helps us to be open to the work that God seeks to do in our lives, the type of work that God seeks to do in our world, in our communities, in our families, to ensure that its integrity is strong. And then also as people who have childlike faith, to know that God is with us always. That God works in us this capacity to be agents of grace and hope and love in this world. That we too can be examples of how God too shows up for us and jumps in the fire with us. Goes before us, stands up for us, and shows us something brand new. You see, God showed up for me. And I'm sure that you've experienced times where God has showed up for you in incredible ways. And in light of our childlike faith that we've been learning to have today, I pray that your faithfulness has grown. That your integrity, the strength of your faith is shown and is developed. But then also more importantly, that you're able to develop a principle of loving God that is unshakable. Like a tree that's planted by the river of waters. Although it bends and may sway, it is never uprooted. Amen.